Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. church sent out a text this morning saying that Toby was preaching, and you all got bamboozled, because Toby's not preaching. I know. It is pretty sad for all of you, actually, because anytime my brother talks, God comes. He's very anointed. And as a teaser, he's speaking in two weeks, so (laughs) you're going to have to come back if you came, oh, three weeks? Okay, Father's Day. On Father's Day, come so you can hear him preach. And it will be awesome. Um, All right, so it is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I don't want to in any way shy away from Pentecost Sunday. And so I want to share with you some insights that I feel like that I've learned and that God's given me about the story of Pentecost. Um, and so we're just going to, we're going to read it one time through at least a portion of the story. I know we read it at the beginning of service. Okay, you're going to hear it. You're probably going to hear it three times today, essentially. But there's so much good stuff in this. It's really an amazing story. And um, I think that we can lose that out of repetition. So <clears throat> here we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were sitting. Y'all try to imagine this as we read it. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Let's go to that next one, Chris. 
So Peter talks. We'll read what Peter has to say in a little bit. But when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for this forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number. This is an amazing scripture, and I really, I legitimately don't know how many Pentecost sermons that I've heard in my lifetime. It's a lot. Like, I'm going to at least go with of at least one a year, so that would be 35. <laughs> and then, I mean, I grew up in, in a Pentecostal church, so we didn't shy away from this one. Plus, at least one for every church camp that I went to, because Monday night is salvation, and Tuesday night is sanctification, and Wednesday night is everyone has to get filled with the Spirit. So Wednesday night, you got to hear the story of Pentecost. Um, and I mean, plenty of other events throughout years. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard the story of Pentecost. And it's easy to like let that just become old, you know, or not think about it much. So today we could just look at how God gave the gift of tongues as a gift to all believers and how it was a launch to the beginning of the early church. And actually, that would be a great story. Just all in and of itself, that's actually really beautiful. But I'm really more intrigued and moved by this part of God's story than I ever have been before. And so I want to little, look a little deeper today. Um, first, let's just pray. God, I want you. I just speak on behalf of all the people here, and I say we want you. We want to know you closer, and we want to see you move like you moved in this book, the acts of your apostles. Reveal your truth to us, God, and show us how. We ask you for your spirit, and we do ask you for the patience, the determination, and the trust and belief required to wait. Reveal yourself to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we find ourselves in Acts 2, in a time when Jesus has been killed, then he's resurrected, then he's appeared to the disciples and been with them for 40 days. I'm just breezing over these things. They're all pretty amazing. And at the end of 40 days of Jesus hanging out with them after rising from the dead, he tells them to wait on the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then he immediately levitated. Okay? <laughs> like, we, we, we just breeze over this stuff all the time. Like, Jesus finishes the sentence, and then he floats into the air. And then he disappears into a cloud, and then an angel physically appears and verbally comforts them and tells them where Jesus is going. Just another Tuesday. So, because what Jesus has just told them to do, the disciples head back to the upstairs room 
we like to call it the upper room because that sounds. And this, this place is believed to be on Mount Zion, which is in uh, kind of the edge of Jerusalem. And they go there and they pray, as Toby was saying earlier, they pray constantly for 10 days, okay? We actually know really how long it is because the day of Pentecost is 50 days from the resurrection. And it tells us that when Jesus rose, that he spent 40 days with them. So we know that they went to this room and it said that they, they prayed fervently and constantly for all this time. That's 10 days. I would love if you guys would remind me the last time we as a church got came and like didn't stop praying for 10 days. So that's where we are. The risen Jesus tells them what to do. He ascends. An angel shows up. They go to the upper room and they pray. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this, uh, this chapter of Acts 2. And I'm just going to give you some thoughts. Um, I've done a lot of study lately on, you know, just kind of the history of uh, these stories in the New Testament and how they relate to the Old Testament and what story God's weaving throughout history. And I think it's really beautiful, and I think it gives us also some more um, nudges as to what we should be doing as a people. So, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So, this is terrifying. Like, like, I mean, you just, you're just sitting there praying. I mean, you got 10 days of like everyone singing, everyone's praying. And all of, a, all of a sudden, it describes it as violent. All of a sudden, the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind comes from heaven and fills the, it says it fills the whole house. Like, I don't know exactly what this sounds like. I almost imagine like a train or something just all of a sudden, just like, it's, it's going to get your attention. And I can actually personally confirm to you that this would be scary because one time in college, it was, it was late at night. I was out for a run. I don't know why I used to like always like to go for a run in the middle of the night. And I knew one of my friends would be awake, and he was like an awesome prayer. And his name was Izwagbe. And so I went over to Izwagbe's uh, apartment, and I knocked on the door, and I was like, he was like, hey, man, what's up? It's like late, you know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you want to pray? And he's like, yeah, let's pray. So... <laughs> So we start praying for a long time, and I don't know exactly what we're praying about, but at one point I walk out on his balcony, and I'm telling God, God, I want to see you like Moses. Like, I want your glory. I, do, I don't want to settle. Like, I want all of you. I want to see you. And so I'm, I'm out there praying for a while, and all of a sudden, all I can tell you is that a violent wind starts blowing at me. Like, I see the trees start moving, like, a little ways away, and they're like, kind of like bending, and then this wind get, like hits me, and it was a handrail, and I, this, this happened, you know? You just have to take it for what it is. There's a handrail there, and it's almost blowing me over backward. I'm holding on to this handrail, and I can hardly stand up because this wind is so strong. And so eventually, like, I know I can't just like let go and stand there, so eventually I just fall down to my knees, and the presence of God was so strong, like just so incredibly thick, I was like, never mind, God, never mind. Like, this is enough. Like, what you just hit me with, like, it probably wasn't even as strong as their violent wind. I don't know. But like, 
what he hit me with was strong enough that I was scared. You know, like the Bible tells us to like fear the Lord and everyone's like, well, that just means to respect God. And I'm like, well, you ain't never had a really crazy wind blow at your face. So when we see God speaking out of a great precedent set that this can happen previously in the Bible, there's multiple times. One of them is that we see God speaking out of a great wind to a whirlwind to Job. When he tells him, what does he say? He says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Woo. I'm glad God didn't say that to me on that patio because that would have been more scary. <laughs> he shows up in a whirlwind. And when God shows up in a whirlwind, he seems to mean business. He's set in these moments on showing his majesty and seriously getting people's attention, right? So verse 3 says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I'm going to spend a few minutes on this one because it's really interesting. Like these are verses that I don't think that much about once again because I've heard them since I was a little kid. And I'm like, yeah, 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 there's tongues of fire. They dance around on people's heads. Like I really can like kind of just downplay it out of familiarity. But in order to understand the significance of this, once again, we need a history. We need a connection between God's people and fire that they would understand something about. They seemingly see one big clump of fire, is what it kind of seems like to me. It says tongues of fire that separated, right? So like it's one big thing, all these individual tongues of fire, and then they separate and come to rest on each individual believer. This is going to be really symbolic. But first, fire was a symbol that they may have understood once they got past the shock of it, because fire had previously been used to mark a place where the presence of God was. Moses first encountered God in this way in a burning bush, right? So we see God reveal himself in a burning bush. We, it alerts Moses that God's presence is there. God speaks to him, and Moses receives direction, right? So it tells us God is present, and it tells us God's giving direction. Then if we look fast forward, God gave the Israelites a pillar of fire to follow through the wilderness at night. Once again, fire was a sign of God's tangible presence with them, his presence both with the people and, once again, leading the people. So we can see one thing that they already know about when God shows up in fire. It's his presence to be with them, to lead them. Second, God's fire was a sign of purity. If the Jewish people see fire... They might think of a couple things. First, sacrifices. They lived in a culture where in order for their sins to not be held against them, every so often they had to follow the rules and they had to bring sacrifices, right? The best of what they had to be burned up. So sacrifice, so fire played a part in purity, in atonement. There were also past examples of impurities being burned away. For example, Isaiah has unclean lips, 
And his lips are purified because an angel brings a burning coal. That The angel goes and pulls a burning coal from the altar of God and comes and touches Isaiah's lips and says, okay, now your lips have been purified. So we can also see, if we look back through the scriptures, that the fire is a symbol of purity. So those are two maybe more obvious things that we would maybe typically think of. You may have heard those. New leading and a new purity to the people. But there are also less obvious pieces of symbolism to those of us who aren't Jews. And so I want to go ahead and dive into one of those now. Somewhere about 1,300 years earlier, there's a guy that you've probably heard of named Moses. And on the same day of the year, as Pentecost, I don't know exactly how many years earlier, but we're going to approximate 1,300. The same day of the year, 1,300 years earlier, something notable happened. See, for those of you who have listened to me preach, you've probably caught on that I'm fascinated by this stuff. But God really likes to tie things together. And that's why I really like it, because I think he really likes it. When you look closely at God's story, he leaves us so many trails and clues and prophecies so that we won't miss him when he comes. We won't mistake his coming for something else. For example, not only did Jesus fulfill over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament, but who knows, does anybody know what day of the year that Jesus was crucified on? Passover. Passover was a time to remember that Israel was set free from slavery by the death of the firstborn. But those whose homes were covered by the blood of the lamb were saved from death. Think that timing's an accident? I think not. So when we look at Pentecost, we need to pay attention. 1,300 years before on the date that we would eventually recognize as Pentecost, the Israelites were gathered around a mountain called Mount Sinai. God called Moses up onto the mountain, which seemed to be encased by fire. God and Moses have a long series of talks where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He gives them the rest of the law that they were to follow. And a new covenant between God and his people is formed. The covenant of the law, marked by fire. He told them the ways that they were to follow. He told them how to build a tabernacle. He told them how to treat the Ark of the Covenant. And he even said where the Ark of the Covenant was going to dwell, where his presence was going to dwell, right? That's what the Ark of the Covenant was. It, was. it held the mercy seat. It was a place where God's presence was to dwell. Well, Guess what? In the tabernacle, that room where the Ark of the Covenant stayed was marked by a flame that had to be kept burning 24-7. It wasn't allowed to ever go out. 24-7, 365, the priests were required to keep this flame burning because he wanted the place where his presence rested to be marked by something, and he chose fire to do it. So tell me, is it a coincidence that on the same exact day, 1,300 years later, God initiates a new covenant, replacing the one that he made with Moses. A new covenant of the Spirit, not of the law. 
He gave Moses the law written on tablets of stone. But now, he says, I will write my law on their hearts. A new covenant where the fire no longer marks an item or a room as the place where God's presence would dwell, but now it splits and it comes to rest on top of every believer, marking the new temple, the new dwelling place of God. It's beautiful, right? It's so easy for us to miss so much of God's story because we don't have the historical context. Like, we don't realize how much it would help to potentially, like, be Jewish and have lived in a Jewish culture to understand these things. Because some of these things were probably just a given for them, right? All right, so let's keep going in the story. We're seeing how God's weaving things through history. Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, I'm not going to do the whole list again. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? See, I realize, I've realized for a long time how important the day of Pentecost is. Like, I've always known it's a huge launching point for the church. I just haven't realized how many restorations God set in motion on Pentecost. We just saw that God, I mean, the biggest restoration of all, right, is that like we can have God live inside of us. We can have the presence of God dwell within us for constant relationship. But we have all these people that have come in town and they all speak different languages and they're all, they're all Jews, okay? It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't say that like, so it does say that some of them are, were converts to Judaism, but we are talking about Jews. We're talking about devout people. And they come from all over the world and they speak all these different languages. And why do these people speak all these different languages? Well, let's read Genesis 11. Y'all go with me. It's going to connect. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. See, when the people in Genesis 
We can't say they're not unified. They're very unified. When the people in Genesis are united around their own knowledge and their own selfish purposes, right? Just like uh, for those of you who are in my house church, like we talked about the knowledge of the tree of good and evil this, this week. People wanted to be like God. They wanted to have all wisdom. They wanted to build their own great kingdom, right? We're trying to build selfish things. And when people unite around building selfish things, God's solution is to break the unity of language and therefore break the unity of the people so they can't accomplish anything. But now we have one more piece, one more sign of the progressive restoration of all things. Their languages are unified. They come from all over the... It's not a complete way. Like I said, it's the progressive restoration of all things, but it is a sign and it is a start that on this day, they can all communicate. They can all hear the same things being said. So their languages are unified in a time when all the scattered tribes of Israel are back in one place for a feast. God chooses this moment to reunify his people. You guys seeing how all these things tie in? I don't know if this excites you guys. Like, I get excited. I think this stuff is really cool. So if I'm just a nerd, then I will do this. I'll do this at home by myself and have just as much fun. (laughs) Verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. They didn't know that Christians don't drink wine, ever. They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, let's listen to, this is, this is Peter's uh, Pentecost message, okay? It's better than whatever I'm going to say today. So let's pay attention to it. It's only like, I don't know, 15 verses long. Let's pay attention because it's probably good. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Okay, so what he look, he was just he was quoting Joel, right? Now he's saying what he has to say. So let's look at what he's saying. He's talking about Jesus came and you didn't recognize him. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, 
he's actually not calling them wicked. He's talking to devout people, right? And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So he's telling them what just happened, okay? Let's pay attention exactly what he's doing here. He's telling them, here was this prophecy that's being fulfilled in this moment. Now let me tell you what just happened. Now let me prove to you, here's what he's gonna do now. Let me prove to you by acknowledging God's history and the plan that God set out a long time ago. This is what we're talking through today. Let me prove to you through the history that God set out that what I'm telling you happened to Jesus did happen and was prophesied. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Let your Holy One see decay. Remember that. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. He's like, David was talking all this stuff. Everyone thinks it's like his body's not going to see decay. He's not going to die. Like he's like, his tomb's right there. You can go look at it. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay, for he is risen. He is risen indeed. That was good. Too easy. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I'm going to stop there. This is all in Acts 2. It's a whole, we're doing the whole chapter of Acts 2. So Peter wants them to see the whole story. These are devout men, but he knows that however committed we are to righteousness, we won't follow God into his future plan without seeing what he has already done. And that's why I'm talking about this stuff to you today. I'm trying to show you the same stuff that Peter is showing them. We can't follow God no matter how good our intentions, no matter how devout we are about what we think is holy. If we can't see what God has already done and see how it connects to us and see how we're part of this story, then what we do is we make our own plans, right? Just like we were talking about earlier. We live in anxiety and we try to make all these good things happen for God, but we're not being part of his story and his plan. We're being part of our plan to um, help God do what we don't, think he can do, I guess. So it's super important that we understand God's story and how it all connects together and how it connects to us 
and the, and the covenant that we're living in. Because we're not living in an old covenant. We're living in a new one that is set in stone. No, it's not set in stone. It's set on your heart on this day in history. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Okay, so one more time, let's just put this idea to rest that it's not for all people. The gift of the Spirit is for every believer who commits to this new way of life. And that's what he's telling them. That's what he's inviting them into. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. We could use that. We could use that word right now. Anybody look around and see a little bit of a corrupt generation? Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So we read earlier that Jews from all nations, it says, were in the city at this one time. They came for a feast. They came for a festival, a celebration. This celebration, you know what it was for? It was to celebrate God's provision in the first fruits of the harvest. That's why they gathered to celebrate that the first fruits of the harvest for that year had been seen, that God's provision had once again been enough. And as they celebrated the first fruits of the earthly harvest, they start to see the first fruits of the heavenly harvest. 3,000, day one. Accident? Coincidence? No. And not only this, but we see the exact contrast of the new covenant from the old covenant. Let me tell you how. Remember 13 years ago when we talked about Moses going up on the mountain and getting the law? Who remembers when he came down off the mountain, what did he find? Somebody tell me. They had made an idol. And do you know what happened whenever, they, whenever he found that they had made an idol and God's wrath <laughs> welled up in Moses? You know what happened? 3,000 people got killed. 3,000. But now with the deliverance of the new covenant of the Spirit, 3,000 come to the salvation of Jesus on day one. Because the Spirit brings life, but the letter of the law kills. Man, I'm thankful for that covenant. The Spirit brings life. You know, when Jesus talks to the Pharisees, they always tell him, oh, who are you? We follow Moses. And he tells them, oh, you want to follow the law? Okay, then you know what? He tells them the same thing he tells all the, all the evil people. Not evil, but like broken. They've been living in evil, right? And he tells them, the Pharisees, the same thing. He says, well, then neither do I condemn you. But what's going to happen is you're going to be condemned by that which you have chosen. You're going to be condemned by the law of Moses. If you want to live under the law, have at it. And if you, even to this day, want to live under the law and you want to earn your salvation and you want to just 
strive and strive and strive to do the work of God instead of being patient and waiting on his spirit to come and walking in his spirit, then God will let you have what you choose. But there's a better offering, which is life in the spirit. Let me tell you the end of the, the, end of the chapter. We're about to be done. We're going to take communion together. The end of the chapter moves on from day one. Day one was awesome. I love it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Devoted. You see that word? They devoted themselves. What happened before when the Spirit of God was poured out the first time? Ten days of nonstop prayer and seeking and patience and trust. And now, a lifestyle. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, unified, right? Everything in common. Every day, courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So first, if I can, if I can give you anything today, I know I've given you a lot of thoughts, I get that. You probably won't remember every single Old Testament connection that I just told you, and that's cool. But please realize that you are part of God's story, not your own. He's been building it for 3,500 years since the time of Moses and a long time before that. You are part of God's story. You don't have to go find something that will make you happy and fulfilled and that'll make all your dreams come true. You're already part of something that will do that. You're already part of God's story. And also, please realize that the Spirit comes in power on those who are devoted and in unity. The Spirit comes in power on those who are devoted and in unity. It was 10 days of constant prayer and worship and looking with trust toward the risen Jesus and the intention of receiving power to be a witness, okay? This isn't selfish devotion. This is unified devotion, not selfish devotion. It's not devotion that says, God, how good can I get? It's not devotion that says, God, how are you going to use me? I'm not saying those are bad questions. They're not bad questions, but sometimes our motivations get very self-focused, even in our desire to please God. For the intention of receiving power to be a witness, they waited. It's a, it is a life laid down, not a selfish one, but one lived for the unity of the body of Christ, both the body and the head. Then, we just read it. It was day after day in unity. They prayed together every single day. They ate together every day. They were devo devoted to the apostles' teachings. 
you know, tell me what does it mean to be devoted to someone's teachings? Does that mean you just like listen to them all day? Like another podcast, amen. My spirit's going to be full. I'm not going to do anything about it, but this is really going to be a life-giving, life-giving sermon. I don't think when it says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, I don't think that meant that they just listened to it a lot. I think that meant that they lived it. Their whole lives were devoted. We so often are like, God, why aren't we seeing what we're believing for? Their whole lives were devoted. Not selfish, sharing everything. God is looking for those who will be fully devoted to his story. He's looking for those who will wait, those who will give up their selfish ambition, those who will live to share his good news, and those who will be obsessed. Obsessed, completely devoted. If that is your intention, then I promise you will be filled with his spirit to fullness and overflow. That overflow will be purity in your life. Your life will be marked by his presence. Remember the fire, the presence and the purity and the leading? You're going to have that if you have, de- if you have full devotion. I'm not telling you this as someone who's perfected this. I'm telling you this as like someone who's right there with you. I'm asking you the question, is that really what we want? It's really what they wanted to the point of laying their life down. The Bible tells us we have to be crucified with Christ. But do you want to? Your your life will be marked by purity and his presence, and you will see miracles. Your selfless intentions and your devotion matter because God has already said yes to giving his spirit to whoever will say yes to laying their life down. Man, we want, sometimes it pains me. We want to come in once a year on Pentecost Sunday. We want to have an altar call and everyone come kneel around the rug and, you know, (laughs) hope somebody speaks in tongues today. Like, I mean, like, we're talking about a life of devotion. We're talking about a life of coming together in unity for, for one common purpose, which is to spread the kingdom of God. To go and tell people, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not far off. It's right here with you. Would you like to grab it? Would you like to be devoted? Would you like to wait for his mission and not do your own? And so all I can tell you guys is that right now, I feel compelled to being more devoted to Jesus. We have a lot of excuses, you know, so many excuses. We've got things we have to do. We got work and family and I mean, like, I get all this stuff. You know, I'll tell you this. This is the the real truth. I used to be in full-time ministry, meaning I didn't work another job. And now I run a company and I homeschool my kids and I am living way more devoted to Jesus than I ever did when I was doing full-time ministry. 
it is not because <laughs> it's not because you have other things that you have to do. I'm not saying you can't get distracted. You can. But <laughs> that is not the reason that you're not devoted to Jesus. And all I'm telling you guys is like, we each have our own yes to say. We each have something different that God's asking us to do right now, but it does require complete devotion and it does require selflessness. And so I'm in a place today where I'm like, man, God, I'm ready to be more devoted. I'm ready to spend more time being devoted. I'm ready to be more unified with your people. I'm ready to be I'm ready for your message to be my life goal. And so I will ask you, I'm going to give, I'm going to give a couple minutes of, of silence. And I'm going, to, I'm going to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to, to process with him and talk with him and just be honest with yourself and say, like, am I ready to be devoted today? Am I someone who will spend 10 straight days waiting because God told me to? And for those of you who the answer is no, it's okay to be honest. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand today or stand or anything like that. But for those of you who can search your heart and find a yes, then I'm going to pray over all of us and then we're going to Take his body and blood together. God, we thank you for your offer to us. That if we'll lay down our life, that we'll find yours. And so for all those who in your heart say right now, yes, I want to be more devoted. I commit to being more devoted. Holy Spirit, I just ask you that you would come. That you would fill us. That you would fill us to overflow. That the fire of your spirit would rest on us. That the purity and the passion and the presence would rest on us. that we would carry your anointing that would burn in us. And that you would give us everything that we need to show that your kingdom is here. That you would give us every work and sign that we need to show that your kingdom is here now. That your kingdom is coming to earth. That you are bringing restoration to all things. God, do it in us now that we could carry it. I'm going to invite you guys to come to the table, take communion together. Will you help me serve? Well, Jesus, we just thank you for your body and blood. God, without your sacrifice, we wouldn't be talking about any of this. We'd be still be making a fire and putting an animal on it. But God, we have direct access to you because of this. So God, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. And as we eat, God, let us be more full of you.
Let us be conformed to your image. Let us look more like your son and be more full of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clear Path Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clear Path Dallas. Thanks for listening.